should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because even Spider-Man can't save us from this fate. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Benedict, the Jason Todd of this podcast. Benedict! You don't get that joke. Jason Completely Todd, lost on me. Jason Todd was the second Robin. He was so bad and so hated that the readers answered a poll that they wanted him killed off, and so they killed him off. Uh, oh, Benedict! Don't kill me off. People like me. <laughs> What's your favorite guilty pleasure action movie? Guilty pleasure action movie. But okay, what counts as a guilty pleasure in this? Okay, in this like we context? all action movies are mostly trash, right? It's just okay, but like, and like, okay, okay, okay. So like, but like, uh, probably mindless, one like mindless action movie. So here's the thing, like. Probably the Mummy, but that doesn't count because that's no. Not a that's a pleasure. great that's, movie. No, exactly right. It's okay, a well, fantastic then, movie. Okay, then the actual answer is the Scorpion King, which is <laughs> the, the third one in that series. Hey, that is a terrible. trash movie. That yeah, is exactly. A trash movie. Precisely, absolutely awful movie. Uh, <laughs> but in the same vein as the Mummy, and thus I love it. Um, so yeah. No, the first Mummy, legitimately one of my favorite movies from my youth. What are, Brendan Fraser's fantastic. Okay, He's do you brilliant. like The Mummy Returns though? Um, it's it's watchable. It's watchable. It's not as good as The Mummy. No, they go progressively downhill. Yeah, of course. Like many, like many trilogies, or I don't know how many. Didn't weren't there some direct-to-video ones they did of The Mummy? There eventually? was another one they did with Tom Cruise that was like a remake. Oh yeah, definitely I not that. good. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's no good. Only Brendan Fraser can pull off that role. He was too yeah, good. At it. He was yeah. too good. Um, have you seen ha- The Whale, by the way? I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, let's not talk about it just okay. in case I get canceled. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not going to speculate. I haven't seen it. Heard not great things. Heard good things. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, just leave it alone. Just leave it. Yeah. Alone. I. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get myself canceled for something I haven't even seen. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure? Mine. I have to go with like The Expendables, which is okay. just all of the 80s and 90s. It's Steven Seagal in, in that. Movie. I feel like canonically in my head, Steven Seagal is in that. Did he make a cameo? Hold on. He's. He's. I know he's not in the first one because that okay. one is like uh let's see i'll pull up the cast right here and we'll see who was in it the expendables 2010 film who was in it uh so we got sylvester stallone jason statham Uh jet lee dolph lundgren eric roberts randy couture steve austin dave zayas uh giselle i can't pronounce that last name eta maybe uh charisma carpenter gary daniels terry cruz and mickey rourke so no he was not that, so the there were always rumors that he would be in it, but apparently he's fallen out with too many of the cast members to be involved oh. in the movie. Oh, as you're going to learn today, everybody fucking hates him. <laughs> Rightfully so. Everyone <laughs> fucking hates Steven Seagal. And that's like, I mean, there's a reason the man has only been on direct-to-video movies since like 1997. It's it's not because he's well-loved. And is, it, is it them? 
Is that the reason? Uh, I think the reason is... Is that why he thinks the reason is? I think the reason is that he's committed a lot of sexual assaults. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Well, that didn't stop a lot of people from being Hollywood stars, Kevin, let's be honest. Sure didn't. Anyways, Benedict, uh, you probably know what it is that we do here on this program. I do. Yeah. Uh, some folks, folks who have never seen The Whale, they <laughs> might not No, know. I don't. I do know. <laughs> uh, folks who have seen The Whale might not know what it is that we do here. And then I would say, this is a show where we go deep, 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 deep to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative nonfiction and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us off, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us this week? Yeah, sometimes I'm beautifully reminded about horseshoe theory, but not in the <laughs> political sense, but in the conspiracy theorist sense. Okay. Because I was explain. walking through Union Square in New York the other day, oh, and there was a woman. Oh, did you see some hoteps shaking hands with an info warrior? similar (laughs) the 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 man the man was singing a song to the tune of new york new york Uh so you can imagine start spreading the news i'm leaving today instead of leaving today he said start spreading the news they're spraying the skies Okay, contrails. I'm with, Le- it. I'm with no, it. No, chemtrails, not yeah. contrails. They call them chemtrails. Uh, yeah, both things. Oh, okay. contrails. Okay, okay, okay. Ke- so, chemtrails then, is what the conspiracy theorists will say. But then the rest of the song, and I don't remember the lyrics, launched into environmentalism. Okay. Like how we've got, to, we've got to stop people from using chemicals. So it's like this weird <laughs> joinder of InfoWars, Alex Jones shit, and then like, oh, but also we've got to help the environment, which Man. like... It's funny how these things evolve and like jump between groups. And, Someday yeah. I do have to put together an episode for you on the eco weirdo slash whole holistic food slash info warrior crowd. Oh, dude, all... like, I mean, you remember like before, like pre-COVID, like all the anti-vax shit was like liberal weirdos. No, like... no, no. That was your okay, perception. Not all of it. Of it. Okay, that was your that, perception okay, maybe, of maybe, it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But uh you are correct that there were the the disp- the the distribution of that conspiracy theory the anti-vax conspiracy theory was more even across the two parties yeah. uh the two ends of the political spectrum if you will uh yeah. before covid that is Every, true. everybody that posted about it loudly was like a liberal weirdo Right. Everyone People else was like it was Jamie like tied McCarthy. up with their anti-government. No, yeah. but like they they like all their other positions were like okay, sure, whatever. And then they were like, but not vaccines. They're like, oh, that's a weird one. Whereas like the, all the rest of the like, I don't trust the government, and therefore I don't trust vaccines. Like I get that. That's a logical leap. But you know. Yeah, but there's a whole host of figures out there. I would love to talk to you about. Like there's a guy named David Avocado Wolf. Like, he literally inserted avocado into his name. Amazing. <laughs> Is that why he can't afford a house? <laughs> oh, no. Dude makes a, a lot of money off of his followers. He that lives in, like, sense. Bali or something. Uh, cool. And and then there's, there's you know, obviously, you know, uh, people who are tangential to the Alex Jones world. Uh, Mike Adams, the health ranger. Uh, uh-huh. who claims that, you know, you got to watch out for all the hard metals. And, and the, the thing is, like, a lot of these people, the uh, the the wanting to protect the environment stuff is entirely on the face. It's not, in, there's no substance to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's not real. Like Alex Jones. Yeah, we'll it makes it palatable, right? Like it's chemtrails, yeah. but then you're like, oh, because of the environment. they're putting this in the water and I don't want the frogs turning gay. And exactly. then he want, you know, supports a political movement that wants to get rid of all government regulations that would stop any of the imaginary stuff he thinks is happening and Precisely. some of the real stuff that he might come across from time to time that he complains about. Anyways, we got to talk about that someday. I'll, sure. I'll put it on the list 
the ever-growing list of things we need to talk about. Great. What's uh, your hot take in the meantime? My, my hot take, Benedict. I am really nervous about the new Spider-Verse movie. I'm really nervous about it. Because Why? the first one was one of the best superhero movies I have ever seen. The first Spider-Verse movie was so good. Oh, it was so, so good. So well done. So brilliant. You couldn't help but love it. Nobody hated that movie. It's just, it's beloved by everyone who ever saw it. Kevin, I'm sure somebody hated that movie. That person's wrong. That person's wrong, and his oh. name is David Avocado Wolf. Okay, but- <laughs> you're right, but, it, but like, Spider-Man was black. I'm sure people hated that movie. Like, there's okay. no way that has a 100% approval rating. Sure, but that's canonical. That's part Kevin. Miles Morales is part Kevin, of the Marvel I know scene. that. Do you think that people that care about these kinds of things know that or care about that? No. 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 Anyways, first one was so fucking good. I am legitimately just worried that the second one won't live up to it. I'm sure it will be good. I'm sure it'll be decent at the very least. But if it doesn't live up to the first one, it's sort of like a, oh, fuck. Well, you know, that, that. I don't know why I expected that they could be brilliant every single time they do so. I'm just worried that I'm not going to be as hyped after watching it as I am about the first one. That's Is my it problem. the same writers? Uh, I don't know about the writers. I know... Um, I haven't checked. I, I'll okay, be honest. That's I just fine. Whatever. Checked. I simply don't care. But it's uh, it's coming. Out, it's, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be watching it. I'm gonna be watching it in theater. I'm super stoked for it. I'm just worried it's not gonna live up to the hype. Okay. It's not gonna live up to the ground that the first one laid. Sure. Uh, and that's that's concerning for me as a Spider fan. Um, sure. Actually, all my Spider Man stuff is in storage right now. It's not even in my home. Because... How will you save Queens? <laughs> I need to go get it out of storage and put it up in my office. That's what I need to do. Anyways, Benedict, uh, why don't we move on uh, for housekeeping this week? Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on the social media. Please actually do because we've dipped down to 3.9 stars again because people keep giving us one star and not leaving a review. That's that's just how it works here. When some weirdo goes... Like, we have a bunch of Alex Jones stuff. I guarantee you there are people who just... I know, but we have enough listeners that we can get... I, yeah. Kevin, I just want to be above four stars. Like, I, like three point nine stars is a restaurant I wouldn't eat I don't at. Care so about the stars, man. I, I don't do. care about. Well, the stars. you keep fucking asking people to review us because so it's in my outline can't... of things to say. <laughs> anyway, I just want to maintain a four star average. That's Fine. all. Fine. That's all I want in life. So do that. Follow us on the social medias at nygbcpod on Twitter. Uh, updates. I have no updates this week. Oh, so okay. I don't know why I read that off of the page. I probably should have just skipped it. But, Benedict, we do have one inductee into our spooky world New World Order. Bleh. Cool. Yeah, I tripped over my tongue there. I couldn't quite get it out of my mouth. But the spooky world New World Order. Bleh. And that is, of course, our newest patron, Carrie Kinrousen. Carrie Kinrousen? I'm going to go with that. Tell me sure. if it's wrong. Anytime I read someone's name, reach out to me and tell me if I did it wrong. But you are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Thank you oh so very much. And of course, if you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, blah, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommend it to others, send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron, or just get my attention with something good. And Benedict, with all that out of the way, we finally, after what is admittedly 89% my fault, Mm. um, (laughs) all the delays we've had, 
on getting to uh, uh, the point where we are now. Yeah, fuck you for trying to get people out of jail. <laughs> Disgusting. It's my fault. Uh, all the stuff, we finally get to the beginning of our next book review. Can I just say that for once I had actually prepared a bookshelf and you didn't even ask, so... Well, it's not a book week. It's like, you know, uh, it's like... What would you say we're doing today, Kevin? Okay, Benedict, what's on your bookshelf? Well, now I don't want to no, say it. No, now you're going to say it or we're going to here. we're going to sit here in silence if you won't fucking say it. What's on your fucking bookshelf? Do you have one? I can come up with one. Okay, well, mine is A People Portrayed by Paul Preston, which is about the Spanish Civil War and uh, and how 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 it went badly for everyone, essentially. <laughs> it um, did indeed do that. I do kind of want to and the reason i bring it up is because i had a thought off the back of it in that i do think and we talked about doing this before and i don't know when or where we would do it or if it would even be in this format but i'm going to put it out there and see how the people feel about it um i do kind of want to do like a, a right-wing authoritarianism around the world series as well as as what we're doing um Man. not in addition to necessarily are you forgetting the part where i told you that you should write and present that episode yeah Is but that basically what, you're what i'm no no not episode <laughs> series like i want to do like a deeper look i i can do it i like it's fine i can do the i can do some stuff on it i'm just saying Basically, what I'm telling you is I need validation from people other than you in order for me to undertake anything. So if people would like to see that, let me know. And you I might it. write it. Tweet at the man at NYGBC Ben on Twitter. Tweet at the anyway, man. Anyway, what's your... Actually, I don't care about your bookshelf. Oh. Don't, don't insult me by making something up on the spot. That's, I don't need that. That's really rough. But how about um, I just grab one of the books I read on my cruise, which is sitting right here. Uh, Jane Meyer's Dark Money. Everyone mm. knows that. It's a great, great book. book. It's a long book. It's a very long book. That was a two-day read on the cruise. Oh, a two-day read. Two a days two-parter. at sea. Two days a two-parter. at sea. Yeah. Very long read on the book. Check it out. Uh, you'll find out how evil the Koch brothers and a whole lot of other people are. So it's, Wow. Uh, I bet it's not very. <laughs> well, you have to read it to find out. Anyways, okay. Benedict, why don't we finally, after Let's many delays... Go. I am excited. Uh, begin do our we, review of... Do, let, let's punch him in the chest. <laughs> Whatever the fuck. I don't know. How about the throat? We'll punch him yeah, in the throat. Sure. Uh, the Way of the Shadow Wolves by Steven Seagal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you know when you look at a title so many times and uh -huh. it's like, okay, whatever. That's the title. And then you hear it out loud. <laughs> right. Also, question, question. So we're both looking at the cover of the book, right? Yeah. And why is Shadow Wolves in bold, but the words above it aren't? Right? I think we, we both know I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to talk a bit more about the cover in a moment. Trust me. We'll fucking talk about it better. I, look. No, no, no. I think. Save it. We'll talk okay. about it in a moment. I promise you. I promise okay. you. Uh, but anyways, the, the Way of the Shadow Wolves. By I, it, look, if you're going to graphic design it, at least give the word <laughs> shadow a shadow. Like, if you're going to oh, do God. weird graphic design. Oh, God, Benedict. There's, this is, look. This is a step below, like, a self-published book. That's what this is. This is, like, a step below that. Uh, if there was... It's like a Fiverr-published book. Like, too lazy <laughs> to even publish it yourself. That's what this is. We'll talk about it. Trust me. But anyways, let me get out the names of the fucking authors, finally. <laughs> Steven Seagal Sorry, and Tom I Morrissey. Say, I just flipped to a random page, and the line of dialogue I landed on is, I'm a federal agent, and I call the shots here, he said angrily. <laughs> <laughs> You could play such a great game with this book. Just flipping to a random page, 
Picking a no. Oh, here we go. Here, I just flipped to page 147, and I'm just going to read you the line that came to my eyes first. Antonio Septuan, who operates out of the City of Angels, he is one ruthless and heartless son of a bitch. What have you got on him? He is a reptile, dot, 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 suspected of wiping out large groups of people just to get his point across. That's, does that get your point across, or does it just kill a bunch of people? It just kills a bunch of people. That's what this yeah. is. Right. But Benedict, so. Sorry, I, I will stop, I promise. Steven Seagal and Tom Morrissey. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we all know who actually wrote the book, right? Steven Seagal. Uh, really? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it has to be. There's no other way. Yeah. But before we, we get into the authors here, which we're going to do, let's just talk about the book, right? First off, do you know what a shadow wolf is? Oh, is it a thing? It's apparently a real thing. thing. It's apparently a real thing. Do you know what it is? You won't. Uh, I know you don't know what it is. Clearly, fucking not. Do I? Like, (laughs) so it's apparently real in the sense that it's the uh, name of one Native American tactical tactical patrol unit uh, uh, assigned to the Department of Homeland Security Investigations uh, that specializes in catching smugglers in the Sonoran Desert. It's like thirty people. It's like 30 people. It's the Shadow Wolves. We've got a book about this group who like operates out of some small city in Arizona. That's what this is. Now, but we do briefly need to talk about Native Americans and white people, Benedict. Um, As you're basically going to learn today, Stephen is the kid on the playground who had all the superpowers and an invisible energy shield around him in second grade. So even though you clearly just got him, he's still alive, which is total bullshit, Alex. You can't have all the powers. Mm-hmm. Then this game isn't fun anymore. My kid who had that was Alex. That's who that was. I'll give you his okay. last name and his phone number if you want it. And okay. Benedict, am I correct that it's incredibly clear that the main character of the book, who is Native American, is Steven Seagal? I haven't read the book. No, but Benedict, if I had but you to... looked at the cover. You oh. looked at the fucking cover. Yes, I just thought that was how he dressed. <laughs> honestly, like I didn't, I, like I, I didn't even clock that that might not be how he dresses on a normal day. No, no. Here's the funny thing: is that okay? Steven Seagal's entire life is about cultural appropriation, right? He's basically made a living appropriating other cultures, like most notably the culture of actual tough guys. But okay. Oh, also, can I? Sorry, <laughs> I I'm really sorry. So, we're never going to get. We're going to be giggling this, this entire know, episode. But it's okay, so, funny. so this uh, this only reminds because I recently was having a conversation about this, and I can't not see it. When I, did you ever read the Animorphs? Yes, absolutely. Okay, you know love what those you know what those covers looked like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what that cover looks like. Jesus Christ. The only thing you need is like four more copies of Steven that are progressively turning Just have a slightly into... more wolfy face on each one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is exactly what this is. They went to an out-of-work Animorphs cover animator, illustrator, and got him to put this together for ten bucks. That is exactly what happened. Also, why is one of the wolf's eyes so clearly a different color than yeah, the other eye? Yeah, I think eye? they've tried to put like a like a fade on it, I think, and it's just not gone well. Maybe it's like they're trying to put one half of his face in shadow. Anyway, yes, this is Steven Seagal in a uh, what I can only describe uh, unracistly as a frilly shirt. <laughs> it is leather on leather on leather is what's going on there. It's one of those like leather shirts with all the, the tassels hanging off of it it's got tassels everywhere tassels Mm. all over the place made out of leather um and so benedict uh 
I've lost track of where the fuck I am because this is so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so distracting. <laughs> this so, is where sometime, like, like I know we don't do video podcasts, but if I could just do it and hold it up to the screen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just the whole time. So just have great. this instead of my face. <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen claims on the back cover of this book that he has Mohawk heritage. Um, and sure. I'm, I mean, like... I'm Maybe. not the only person to have some skepticism about that. Yeah, uh, but like on some, like, aren't we all, re- like, I have some French heritage in that everyone is related to like fucking Charlemagne if you go back far enough. Like, yeah, yeah. And basically that's the gist of some of the complaints I found on Facebook posts and Reddit threads in Native American uh, groups on Facebook and Reddit um, who are basically like, oh, so if I claim that I'm connected to this person way back, then I can say I'm part of the Mohawk tribe, like that sort of stuff. Um, They were all pretty damn skeptical about it. But there's one thing we can be pretty sure of, and that's that Stephen was most definitely not raised with any connection to Native culture, and he's actually just a fucking weeb. Uh, He was raised by his Jewish father and Irish mother uh, in Lansing. We'll talk about where he lived uh, in a few moments, but yeah, he, he had no connection to any of this. This is cultural appropriation at its finest, my friend. But before we get to Stephen, let's talk a little bit more about the book and the actual author first, right? So this was published by Fifth Palace Publishing, which I swear to God, I read for like the first hour uh, as Fifth Place Publishing, which, you know, really, really more encapsulates what it's about. And boy, wouldn't you know it that Fifth Palace Publishing is really just Tom Morrissey. Um, if you look fifth, it up, sorry, Fifth Palace or Fifth Place? Fifth Palace. Okay, fifth right. Palace. Yes, it, Fifth Palace is what it actually is. Fifth Place is spiritually what it is. Oh, I see. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you look it up in the Arizona Corporation Commission uh, online search, you can see that Tom Morrissey owns Fifth Palace Publishing. Sure. So we are dealing with a self-published book here, which, if it weren't for Steven Seagal being attached to it, would really feel like punching down. Uh, but lucky us, Stephen put his fat face on the cover, so I feel all good about it. Mm. <laughs> so let's start off with reading from what the book says about itself here. So on the back cover, we have Stephen and Tom Morrissey, uh, their bios, and then we get something from Louis McKinney, the former director of the U.S. Marshal Service. So I'll read Stephen's first, and it says, quote, Steven Seagal is an actor, producer, screenwriter, director. He has directed one movie in his entire life. Martial artist, sheriff, musician, and international businessman. Born in the USA with Mohawk heritage, he is passionate about restoring the Constitution as the foundation for our republic and a return to responsible stewardship of Mother Earth, such as practiced by the Native Americans. I love that such as practice. Like, for example, what the Native Americans do. Someone sure. somewhere along the way realized how problematic it was for two white, just fucking white, pale-faced motherfuckers to be writing this book about Native Americans. Like, oh, you know, we have some respect in that we'll appropriate their culture and then pretend that we know anything about it. Um, the next under Tom Morrissey, it says, quote, Tom Morrissey is a retired chief deputy U.S. marshal, martial artist, veteran of the U.S. Army, musician, author, political leader, and activist. He was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, to a blue-collar family in a culturally diverse community. He loves to tell a good story about his dream of the return of this country's founding principles, with power back to the people. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Yeah, great. 
And then we get this Louis McKinney's uh, uh, blurb here in which it says, and this is where it's fucking crazy. As director of the U.S. Marshal Service, I fully understood the challenges which face all law enforcement officers in their day-to-day activities. Benedict, it wouldn't surprise you to learn that the U.S. Marshal Service doesn't have anything to do with Border Patrol, would it? Wouldn't surprise you to learn it, that? It, it would not surprise me at all, no. No, yeah, that's, that's not as. Continuing. This is the story of a tribal police officer who stumbles onto one of the most notorious cases of all time in the Arizona desert. Although it is fiction, the story could have come from today's headlines. Benedict. Fuck. I have already explained basically what this story is about, and it's Obama is bringing terrorists into the country. Yep. Could have been ripped from one of today's headlines, Benedict. I mean, depends what you're reading. (laughs) That's certainly potentially true. Continuing. I know both of the authors, and I know their law enforcement experience. We'll talk about Steven Seagal's law enforcement experience in a bit. We'll Is it be, ride-alongs we'll and thinking cars are, bullets are firing uh-huh. because cars are backfiring? Yep, cool. yep. Uh, which is evident as they weave a tale of adventure, mystery, action, and betrayal. Steven Seagal is not only a master martial artist and film star, he is also an experienced police officer. <laughs> nope. Tom Morrissey <laughs> is a retired chief deputy U.S. Marshal from Arizona who has intimate knowledge of the work and the local area. Together, they have written a book that has me feeling like I was back on the street protecting the citizens of this great nation. If this book makes him feel like he's back on the street working to protect people, he has lived a psychopathic career. <laughs> I'll say that much. How I'll much of this have you read much. now? I have skipped around and just basically I've done what we talked about. I have opened it up, read a few paragraphs, skipped to another page. It's fucking crazy, Benedict. It's fucking crazy. I love it so much. So the next thing which I wanted to go over today before we get into talking about the authors here is the foreword, which obviously last time we mentioned was written by Joe Arpaio. Can I just say that I do agree that that with the, the... Dedication, or at least one of the dedications, which is we dedicate this book to the Native Americans who were victims of genocide by the early invaders right. from Europe. That was sure. so weird that that's in there. That was so weird. It's just crazy. It's fucking Because cr- the last one, the last one of the dedications is, quote, And finally, to the average American citizen, awakened and finally, perhaps, ready to confront the deep state and restore our Constitution. What? Yeah. Also, on the next page, I don't know if you saw this, but it says, this is a work of fiction and any resemblance to anyone living or dead is purely coincidental. And then it has a picture yes, of yes. Stephen Seagal on the cover. Wait, wait, but read the line that came after that. Read the line that came after oh, that. Oh, yeah, but always remember that the truth comes in many forms. Right, so. <laughs> okay, this story is psychopathic, it's insane, and they are going to insist throughout that, hey, this could be true. That's basically what this is. It's, these people are fucking brain dead. They're fucking brain dead, deep state conspiracy theorists. I haven't seen anything that says that Tom Morrissey is a QAnon guy, but I wouldn't be surprised by it, honestly. But here's the foreword, as I mentioned, which is written by Joe Arpaio. It's, it's you know, less than two pages, so I'm going to read the whole thing for you. And it begins, quote, I strongly identify with this book because in many ways I lived what is portrayed on its pages. You know, Obama smuggling Islamic terrorists into the country through the southern border. You know how Joe Arpaio lived that. Is that what all of these conservative fiction books are about? 
what was what was Ben Shapiro's about? It was I remember it was Middle East and stuff. That was and... like a general. Yeah, it was. A, I think it, I think they came up through Mexico. There was like a drug war in Mexico, and they used it as like a cover to come into the country. Or something. I mean, they don't have interesting ideas, right? The, no. the reason why conservative culture is so inherently fucking boring is that they have like ten things they can talk about. That's it. Um, and there's just nothing beyond that, right? You can't have nuance within their stories because if you introduce nuance, it destroys the entire point they're trying to make, which was of everything is black and white, right? Exactly. So it begins. Uh, uh, blah, 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 I strongly identify. I lived in what is Bay. Blah blah blah. During my over 26 year career in DEA, I worked as a young agent in the mountains of Turkey, often on my own, chasing illegal <laughs> drug merchants. I just imagine him with like a big butterfly net. <laughs> By the way, did I ever mention uh, when we did the Joe Arpaio episode the, uh, that people say he lied about being in Turkey? I don't think he I did. I don't think man. I ever mentioned that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> chasing illegal drug merchants is part of the war on drugs. Many times, although unknown to me, I had to work side by side with individuals who were actually sabotaging my efforts and even putting my life in danger. This was because they were on the payroll of the illicit drug underground. I was promoted to regional director of the DEA it's a good, office. Good band name, by the way. Illicit <laughs> Drug Underground. Yeah, uh, of the DEA office in Mexico and Latin America. Um, pardon, pardon there. The DEA office in Mexico and Latin America. Joe. Yeah, I mean, presumably they have more than one office for that. Th- yeah, the sentence presumes there is one <laughs> office, and he was the head of it. Yeah. Um, also, that feels like something you shouldn't be promoted straight into having like run around Turkey for 10 years with a butterfly net. Like feels that like feels like a bad like... idea. I've seen yeah. what happened to Hank on Breaking Bad. Yeah, uh, it's not good. <laughs> what I experienced during that time brought me an understanding of the mindset and customs of the drug cartels, which drive those organizations to this very day. As the longest-serving elected sheriff in Maricopa County, Arizona history, I brought my experience Sorry. to that organization. Yeah. That sentence doesn't make sense. What I experienced during that time brought me an understanding of the mindset and customs of the drug car. Oh, okay. It's the mindset and customs he's talking about. Sorry. Mm, yep. It does uh, make sense. I apologize to Joe Arpaio on this occasion very <laughs> specifically. no circumstances do you have to apologize to murderer Joe Arpaio. That is fair. I, brought I my retract ex- my apology. <laughs> Fuck you, Joe Arpaio. <laughs> I brought my experience to that organization. Arizona today is and has been ground zero concerning illegal immigration and drug running. The deserts of this great state contain the hidden highways used by drug cartels as they pour across our unsecured borders. That flow has slowed under President Donald Trump, however. There are powers known today as the deep state working against his efforts. The activities I love of- how they have to tie themselves in knots with this shit where they're just like, oh, it's better than it was, but it's still bad. Yeah, because otherwise they wouldn't have anything to complain about. Yeah. The activities of the deep state operatives are a grave danger to our country because they are working against the effort to secure our borders. It is my belief that books such as this bring a better understanding through fiction. Mm. This will help to bring an awakening which has been smothered by the entrenched leftist mindset that dominates the creative media in this country. Good thing old Steven's right into the rescue then, (laughs) I guess. This brilliant work of fiction we're about to experience yeah. is really what's going to awaken the masses. That cri- really is it, you do. might say, it's a, is it a great awakening? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't know if Arpaio is QAnon. I oh, be fucking sp- probably. <laughs> he, you know, he's too old and brain dead to, to like understand or get into it. 
But if somebody said to him that there's a satanic pedophile cabal, oh, well, he'd be Democrats like, yeah, I, I tried to stop them by absolutely, killing them all. Absolutely. Um, continuing. I know and have worked with Steven Seagal. We will talk about how they work together. Who is a law enforcement officer along with being an Did they cut a campaign star. out together? Please tell me they cut a campaign out together. Benedict, I told you last time, they filmed a fucking TV show together. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah! <laughs> Steven's like a lawman. We'll talk about it. He has an unusual understanding of the world in which this story takes place. Sure. I will agree with that statement. Unusual Hasn't he lived in Russia for, for like sure. the last 15 years? <laughs> Basically. During his time with my office, he proved his skilled as, skills as a fugitive hunter when he arrested one of our top fugitives within 48 hours after beginning the search for him. He brought us a new and extremely effective way of getting the job done. What was uh, it? I, uh, lies. Lies. Yeah. Uh, they probably already knew where the guy was, but they had Steven get into an SUV. They brought Steven Seagal in for a photo op, yeah. Yep. I first met Tom Morrissey when he was a chief deputy U.S. Marshal for the Federal District of Arizona. We came to be close allies and united our agencies as we fought the good fight against the evolving threat of illegal drugs that were moving through Arizona. Both of these men bring their experiences to life on the pages of this book. It is my hope. Neither of them, by the way, Benedict, are Native American members of the Shadow Wolves, so not sure how their experiences are being brought to life on this book. It is my hope that you have not only enjoyed the storyline of the Way of the Shadow Wolves, but you will also think about the message portrayed here. It is less than a hair's breadth from the frightening truth of what is actually happening today in America. Okay, my one comment on this is, did he think this was an afterword? Uh, that was what I was about to bring up. I was about to say that. Well, Joe, I haven't enjoyed it yet, but welcome well, back. Well, Joe, let me tell you, I've enjoyed the cover so far. So, <laughs> it, I, hopefully, it can only get better from there. I can honestly say I have thoroughly enjoyed the cover. That much is true. So, Benedict, Tom Morrissey, birth date unknown, was, according to his Amazon bio, uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I'm quoting from the Amazon bio. I'm just going to read you the Amazon bio. It's fucking brilliant. It's great. Okay. So, quote. Tom Morrissey was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. He started his writing career in the music business as a songwriter and a performer. He wrote songs for such greats as Ray Charles, Richie Havens, Brooke Benton, and The Crazy Elephant. He also performed with the hit recording groups The Echoes and The Ohio Express. Okay, so, what Ray Charles song did he write? Uh, do you, of course I have an answer for you. You know that. Okay. No, so I know. I, That's why I'm setting you up to answer. <laughs> and did he hand it to him because Ray Charles is blind and go, someone wrote this for you. And Ray Charles is like, ah, whatever. Maybe. So that caught my eye, obviously. I pulled up a website called Discogs which is like IMDB for songwriting credits, I guess. Some people online say it's reliable, but for some reason it was mostly in Spanish when I looked at it, so okay. I'm not sure of its accuracy. Is it Discogs or Disco G's? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it has credits for Tom on one song in total, which is, uh, quote, I was on Georgia Time. That's the name of the song. Not a Ray Charles tune I'm familiar with. Okay. Uh, not one of his bigger hits, I don't think. But he also has a performing credit on the Ray Caladovio Accordion Orchestra's album, It's a Small World. Sadly, that was not on Spotify. <laughs> Otherwise, you would be listening to it right, right now. now. <laughs> uh, 
Um, he left the music business to become a U.S. Marshal, where he spent 20 years chasing fugitives. I'm back to reading the bio, by the way. Uh, where he, he spent 20 years chasing fugitives and protecting federal witnesses before retiring as the chief deputy U.S. Marshal for the Federal District of Arizona. Tom also spent a lifetime studying martial arts, including a rare form of Chinese internal martial art known as Xing Yi, <laughs> under Grandmaster Kenny Gong of Canton, okay. China. Okay. Now, of Canton, China. I know nothing about whether that particular martial art is bullshit or not. Listen, I I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna criticize anything for fear of, of what, for fear of the repercussions. But Here, that here's is the funny. thing, Benedict. Everyone I've ever known who has done martial arts, I could beat up. And I guess we're going back to me talking about whether I could beat up the right wing tough guy because okay. I know it would hurt. Their You're feelings. like. 200, 240 yeah. pounds. I am 240 Which, like, pounds. like, gives you a distinct advantage if you just, like, sit yes. on someone. You know Abs- what I'm saying? Like, okay. you know. I am not, like, f- I'm not fat like that. No, I know. I'm just saying. Like, it just, I'm not, like, I bench press 240, could... okay? No, I lift I'm... a lot of weights. Kevin, I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying <laughs> you don't even really have to do anything. You could just grab people and fall over, and there's not a lot they can <laughs> there's do. There's not like, a lot that... they can do. Yeah, That's exactly. honestly the truth of it. Uh, but, yes... Uh, I could beat up Tom Morrissey at any point in his life. Now, Steven Seagal, yes, I could also beat up Steven no, Seagal. No, so I, Joe Rogan Look, said. Steven's like six Steven foot Seagal something is and, very, and very large. I'm not saying I could beat up Steven Seagal in his prime because he used to be in shape, but I could beat up Steven Seagal now. No problem. That seems Absolutely right. no problem. He's old. Sure. 70. Still claims to be tough, though. Still yeah. does fake Aikido sure, presentations where he I'm flips sure people in the air I'm sure, who look, are I'm absolutely sure. in on it. I'm sure he is tough, and I'm sure I couldn't beat him up. Sure, sure. Uh, but uh, like I said, I know nothing about whether that particular martial art is bullshit or not. I only know that one of the characters in Ip Man 4 used it. That's all I know. Okay. Uh in the last few years, this is back to reading the uh, bio. In the last few years, Tom has turned his attention to a lifelong love of writing. Only this time, it is stories and novels. He calls upon his experiences as a U.S. Marshal and a lifetime of martial arts to bring his characters to life on the pages of his books. He and his wife, Chris, live in the mountains of Arizona, where he produces and hosts a weekly radio show. Oh, no. Please paste this link into your browser and enjoy no, a musical no, no. introduction to Tom's first book, In Search of the Sacred Word. So, Benedict. No. You know what we're doing. Not that. Anything but that, please. We're going to check out Fine. the musical introduction to one of Tom's Fine. other books. <laughs> as soon as it loads. That's the only problem is I have to wait for it to load because the tiny computer that I use for playing clips appears to be on its last legs. Uh, I might have to replace it soon. It's not doing so hot. I think I've cluttered it up with a bunch of bullshit. But as soon as it starts, we will hear the musical introduction to In Search of the Sacred Word. Ah, there we go. Why is there a telephone ringing in the background? Is it a telephone? Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? So... There's no words in this musical intro, but there are uh, like like words on the screen, so I'll read them to you. One evening, while dining with his wife, Jeremy's storyteller suffered a, a massive heart attack. Sorry, his Jeremy name is Jeremy Storyteller? Yes, that's, that's the name. That's the name. Yes, it is. That's okay. it. Okay.
Before doctors were able to revive him, Jeremy drifted to the other side. What followed him back would change his life forever. You get the gist of what's going on, Madeline, don't you? <laughs> yeah. This man thought this would be a good way to try and sell his book. Yep. What is the point? I can That's confirm that it's not. Uh, the video has a total of, let's see, 240 views, and it was posted nine years ago. How many of those are you trying to get it to load? <laughs> At least three. <laughs> So, at some point, Morrissey moved to Arizona. Who knows when, right? But in 2011, he was elected as the chairman of the Arizona State Republican Party. And if you know anything about the Arizona State Republican Party, you know that they are fucking batshit, right? The Arizona Republicans are by and away the most radical in the country right now. The, the uh, I think it's the Arizona GOP House Twitter account that's fucking insane. I forget which one it is, but one of them's just post straight up bullshit troll nonsense all the time i forget which one um mm. they elected neo-nazi paul gosar like legit yep. neo it just broke the other day that he fucking hired a uh, a groiper a fucking uh, nick fuentes acolyte as his <laughs> um social media director which yeah we talked about this last a week a lot of us made the jokes about a groiper running paul gosar's uh, uh twitter account and wouldn't you know it we were fucking right yep um, and, of course, the ostensible leader of the Arizona GOP, Kerry Lake, still hasn't conceded the 2022 election. They're just batshit. Um, and I can't speak to how batshit they were in 2011, but I think it's probably safe to say things probably haven't changed all that much if we're we're looking at it. You know, I think they're similar to how they were back then if they got, you know, gotten more extreme, but I don't think they're that far off. So he served as GOP chair for two terms. Uh, and for his second bid, was endorsed by none other than Joe Arpaio. Uh, then he decided not to run again in 2014, which he said was because he had upcoming knee surgeries. I think it was a knee replacement, so that would keep him off his feet for an extensive period. So, we know another thing about him. Probably at least some percentage of him is metal. Huh, cyborg. <laughs> Great. But during his Arizona GOP chair days, he did get a tiny bit of press uh, from the Associated Press and the Phoenix New Times, right? The outlet we talked about last time. It did great work on Joe Arpaio. Uh, they reported that during the meeting of the Arizona Republican primary electors uh, in 2012, I think this was? Yeah, 2012, uh, where they cast their votes for Romney, Morrissey and two electors spoke up during the ceremony to express their belief that Obama was not eligible to be president because he is not a native-born American citizen. So yeah, he's a birther. Yep. He's a birther. No surprise. Uh, he was later asked about it on a radio show where he said, quote, In my opinion, what I have seen from the president produced as a birth certificate does not convince me that it is a real document, and then went on to insist that he's not a birther. Sure. <laughs> Uh, in 2016, he was a delegate to the Republican National Convention, where he cast his vote as a delegate for Trump. Uh, he had to do that because okay. So I but... mean, this is a, I mean, in and around the orbit of all yeah. these weirdos. Yeah, this <laughs> is uh, if not a big wig, he is a wig in Republican Party politics. <laughs> Certainly a toupee of, of sorts. <laughs> I would love. To, we need a hierarchy from big wig down to small wig down to toupee like we need a hierarchy of, of importance tightly, based on tightly that fitting wig toupee <laughs> comb over uh, shitty and rug. then full, full bald uh, lowest level merkin merkin's the <laughs> lowest level 
then in 2017, I believe, and I'm not 100% sure on the date or year that it happened, uh, but he was elected mayor of Payson, Arizona. Um, population 1,600. So, in 2019... So he was the only person that voted. You know, he could have been. Uh, in 2019, he faced a recall effort uh, from the position of mayor. Uh, by townsfolk who called him extreme and disrespectful, mostly firing for, uh, stemming from his unilateral firing of the town manager, which cost the town a lot of money. Um, a lawsuit related to that recall attempt made its way to the Arizona Supreme Court, who ended up ruling in Tom's favor that the recall was invalid because they used the wrong uh, uh, election to determine the number of signatures that were needed for okay. the recall. That's it. Yeah. He didn't run for re-election anyways or was voted out. I don't know which one is sure, because if you look on the town's website, the current mayor is definitely not him. Some guy named Chris. But Tom has written five other books that I can find. Uh, In Search of the Sacred Word, which we just talked about, uh, or <laughs> listened to the musical yep. introduction of. In Search of the Sacred Music. In Search of the Sacred Chamber. I wonder if those three are related at all. Uh, and then two others, one titled Just a Candy Store in Brooklyn. Or was it? That's the title. Okay. It ends with is or that, was it. Is that about a drug front in Brooklyn? I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, and the last one is a kid's book titled Charlie Off and the House Without a Door. It's a okay. kid's book. It's strange. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Odd, I think is it. Did I type? You said off. (laughs) Charlie Odd. I think I had a typo in my notes. Uh, So Tom, the actual writer of this book, um, a brain dead boomer sharing the Obama Joker meme in 2023 and like almost literally that. Right. So the only Facebook page I was able to find connected to him is for his books. It's called Tom Morrissey Books. It has 98 followers. Okay. There was a big gap. So he, it did like a bunch of posts about this book back when it was published. And then a big gap of nothing from like 2019 to April 4th, 2021, which is the last post by the page. Um, and it's one of those text block things where it just takes text and puts a background behind it. And it says, quote, we need to smuggle all our homeless veterans into Mexico, then caravan them back so they can get a nice hotel room and good cool. food. We'd when was this? Sorry? This was April 4th, 2021. Oh, just, okay. So not the most recent hoax story about no, people being kicked no. out of hotels. Yeah, okay. We need to take the shift key away from the elderly, Benedict. They're just not allowed to use capitalization anymore. That has to be the way it is going forward. Yeah, that's uh, right. But let's be honest. Nobody cares about the guy who actually sat at a keyboard for 20 minutes to crank this pile of trash out. Um, the people want Steven Seagal. So that's who we're really here mm-hmm. for today. Okay. So, Stephen Frederick Seagal is an alleged rapist who was born April 10th, 1952 in Lansing, Michigan. Um, And I don't feel like very many other outlets focus enough on the rape allegations. So that's why I put it at the very beginning there. I feel like we need to probably, Mm. probably put that right up front. He has been accused by around 10 different women of rape or sexual assault. Um, And I also, before we get started, really want to give credit to John Connolly. Uh, the incredible investigative journalist who wrote that book, Filthy Rich, about Jeffrey Epstein with James Patterson, Mm -hmm. um, who passed away last year. Um, He wrote, and there were, sad part is, there was a bunch of conspiracy theories about his death. Um, The fucking right turned it into a fucking, you know, another one of the uh, Clinton death count, right? 
which is yeah, just yeah, yeah. he he would have been very upset about that. Uh, but he wrote an article in Spy magazine in 1993 de- detailing many of the claims of sexual assault and harassment against Seagal, as well as many of his false claims. The mafia connections we'll get into. Just so much good stuff in there. Uh, and then he wrote a follow-up piece for the Daily Beast in 2017 after a lawsuit was filed against Seagal for sexual assault. That is also a good article. Uh, they'll both be in the show notes for anyone who wants to check them out. But the spy article has a paragraph I just loved, so I'm just going to read it to you. It is, quote, Almost everything you've ever bothered to read about Steven Seagal is a lie. It's true that he has starred in five motion pictures, and it's also true that he has a black belt in Aikido. Apart from those facts, there is little you can count on. And that's, boy, in looking into the man, I have just found that to be so true. Sure. Uh, It's, mm, nah. So, before we get started, Benedict, uh, have you ever seen any Steven Seagal movies? Absolutely the fuck not, and that will not be changing. Really? You haven't seen any Steven Seagal movies? Like, at at some point, it was impossible to avoid. Let me stop you right there. Not a single one. (laughs) Air Force One. Have nope. you seen Air Force One? I think he's in Air Force One, right? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Where Haven't he like, gets sucked know. out of the hatch at the very beginning and dies, which Haven't makes it, it such a great no idea. Movie. Uh Maybe I'm thinking of a different one. Okay, so you haven't seen it. Got nope. it. Um, but, you know, uh, the, the man has f- two, one decent movie that people generally like. Uh, I think that's... Is it, uh, I forget which one it was that, that is generally not panned by the critics. It's either Above the Law or Under Siege, which is the only movie of his that has a positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but he only has one, and that's probably because he's a giant garbage fire of a human being who never really had any good ideas. Beyond but, the Law has 16%, so it's not yeah, that. Beyond the Law? I, that's not even one I'd ever heard of. I've oh, the real Miyagi has 80%. The real Miyagi. Yeah. That's, again, not one I've ever heard like, of. Like Water has 66%, which is technically positive. Machete, which apparently he's in, has I don't... Okay, 71%. that's not a Steven Seagal movie. That is not oh, sorry, a Steven some Seagal of these are. Some of these are... I think you're audience. listing movies these he has all, a cameo in. Yeah, these are audience scores. Hold on, I'm going, I need to go yeah, back. And, and I, I, none of these show up on his list, so I think you're just listing ones he has a cameo in. These are on Rotten Tomatoes. Well... Um, under Siege has 79%. There you go. Under Siege, 79%. Uh, but yeah, I'm not even... Beyond the Law, 2019. Um, Executive uh, Decision has 63%. That's the only other... Oh, and Get Bruce has there we go. 72%. DMX was in Beyond the Law, by the way. <laughs> DMX was in it. <laughs> Anyways, Benedict. Uh, so when he was a child, uh, Stephen and family moved from Lansing to Fullerton, California, down in the LA area and attended Buena Park High School, then spending two years at Fullerton College from 1970 to 1971. Um, And it's important to note that Stephen is an inveterate liar, not just about his personal history, about everything, but also about his personal history. For example, on an episode of the Arsenio Hall show that he was on, he claimed that he spent much of his youth on the rough streets of Brooklyn, despite being born in Michigan and moving to California when he was five. See, this um, is the thing. People used to just be able to lie about these things. Right. And you, you really can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. When he was called on it later, he claimed that he was talking about visiting cousins in Brooklyn. That was his cover for his bullshit story about the rough streets of Brooklyn. Sure. Uh, we'll get at towards the end of this episode. We'll get basically a list of his lies that I put together that are funny. Uh, but I do want to lay the groundwork with his personal history first. So, 
Stephen spent two years at Fullerton College and was into martial arts around that time in the late 70s. So he met his first wife, Miyako Fujitani, at a place he went to for martial arts where she was a black belt. Um, And in 1974 or 1975, he moved with her to Japan where he started teaching at the dojo owned by Miyako's mother, his mother-in-law, because they got married. Uh, He lived in Japan for several years, but also always had a dream of returning to the United States and making it big in the restaurant business or movie business, which is a weird split to me that his dual dreams were either, uh, you know, I'll own a sandwich shop or maybe I could be a famous international celebrity. One of the two, (laughs) both equally good to me. Who knows? Mm -hmm. We'll find out which one works. Um, And to support this dream, his wife saved money for years to help him out with all this. And in 1980, Stephen finally returned to the United States, telling his wife right before he left, quote, I will always do the right thing. I will never betray you. Of course, Stephen then basically abandoned his family in Japan and married actress Adrian LaRussa in 1984 while he was still married to Miyako. He was actually a bigamist. That seems illegal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is illegal. But how was anyone going to find out? It was 1984. Who the fuck That's true. They didn't have the internet. They couldn't Google it. (laughs) Uh, But immediately upon getting back to the U.S., he went to the hotbed of the movie business, Teos, New Mexico, Mm. where he opened a dojo with a student of his named Chris Dunn. And can we talk for a second about how martial arts people get all weird about whatever strip mall guru they've decided has all the answers to the questions of the universe? Like... Sensei Jeremy might punch good, but if you keep saying Sensei Jeremy, I'm going to punch you. Like, that's how I feel about it generally. Um, yeah. It's very, but, it gives me, I like, again, I know nothing about martial arts, but it just gives me very Dwight from the office energy. Did you ever, like, do, like, Taekwondo when you were a kid? I actually, was, honestly, I did karate when I was a kid, um, uh, but not to a very high standard. Well, um, we all did. It was just big in the 90s. For and it reason. wasn't like hey, this dude is going to teach you about life. It's like, this guy is going to teach you to say Kia and throw a punch. <laughs> like, it's like... I it wasn't like was life implied... lessons with Sensei Brian. Like, it See, was... like... <laughs> Here's the thing, is that, that uh, and this may just be based off of the personal experience of many of us whose parents sent us to, to karate in uh, the, the mid to late 90s, because they were convinced that we needed to protect ourselves from child predators and satanic Oh, no, pedophiles. I asked to go. I, I wanted to go to jujitsu, and then my parents mm-hmm. were like, okay, oh, this man. is actually, this is Think funny. Think about how much cooler you would have been if you did jujitsu. Right? <laughs> but the thing, okay, do you want to know the reason why I didn't do it? Is why? that um, I was a shy child. And uh, my my dad said, okay, if you want to go to jujitsu, you have to call the leisure center and ask them what their schedule is. And I was so scared to call the leisure center that I didn't end up going to jujitsu classes. That is the saddest story involving jujitsu I've ever heard. That is the saddest one. So, I mean, I was young. I was like seven. I was, you know, when you used to have to use the fucking yellow pages and be like, hi, yep. do you have jujitsu classes on a Thursday evening? Uh-huh. And, you know, and they said no. And then you wanted to die. That was, that's what happened to me. <laughs> and then I never called anyone ever again upon, until, very... until this podcast. <laughs> I'm very sorry for your loss. I know. <laughs> but no, there's the thing. I don't think that 
the people going initially, especially the children and their parents, think that it's going to turn into this weird relationship. Mm. But it's something that all these, you know, middle-aged dudes who ran karate gyms sort of pushed on the people who came to their classes with all the, like, insistence on bowing and fake, you know, Asian mysticism stuff they would sort of put out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably something to that. It's just, like, literally, like, the, the my gym was, like, in the same building as the swimming pool, so I just found that hard to reconcile. <laughs> like, Ours... you, could, you could smell the chlorine in the dojo. <laughs> Ours was done in, like, the... Um, there's like a mini strip mall near where I lived and it was like the building that was shared between like five different things. So like part of the time on Sundays, it was like the generic Christian denomination church. And then like in the middle of the week, it was like community meeting space and then karate classes on Tuesdays and Thursday sure. nights. Right. Why not? Yeah. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so he went back to Japan for a short time after the New Mexico gym failed, basically. And then in 1983, he brought a student back over from Japan and opened another studio in North Hollywood, which was not particularly successful. Um, associates of his at the time say he, at one point, he arranged to have someone steal his then-girlfriend Kelly LeBrock's car. Um, Kelly LeBrock was the actress from Weird Science, um, so that he could get the insurance proceeds from stealing the car. Which doesn't cool. seem great. And I guess I skipped over the fact that he divorced La Russa in 1984, the same year they had gotten married. Good, because I've already lost track. Just keep skipping yeah. everything. That's and fine. then in 1986, he divorced Miyako before marrying Kelly LeProc in Okay, so he was fully divorced at this point, though. Like By was, the time of his sure. second okay. um, um, additional third, marriage. Third yes. marriage, yeah, okay. He, like, okay, he didn't divorce his first wife until after he had divorced his second wife. But he did divorce his first wife before he married his third wife. (laughs) This man is not great. Okay, Um, I'm with you. Other friends of Stevens for the time would say that he'd go off on trips and returns with stacks of cash. Return with a new wife. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Mark Makita and Joe Hyams, two friends of his at this time, uh, spoke to Connolly for the Spy Magazine article about a time that he returned from a trip with a new car and a fat stack of $100 bills which he claimed to them he got by pulling a hit for the mafia. It's not as far out of the region of possibility as you might think, as we'll learn a little bit later. Okay. And somewhere along the way, while running his North Hollywood dojo, he met a man named Michael Ovitz, who was a student at the dojo, oh, and one of the largest Hollywood casting agents in the entire industry, cool. uh, who wanted to get Steven into the movies, because that weird relationship between karate teacher and student and believing stuff that was just absolute bullshit Ovitz was really into Steven Seagal Um, and at that point Steven had done some work as a stuntman on a few movies including some of the Bond movies uh, and 1983's Never Say Never Again during which he accidentally broke Sean Connery's wrist during during a uh, rehearsal that they had uh, so in the mid-80s, he arranged for Ovitz, that is, arranged for Seagal to give an Aikido demonstration to a group of Hollywood execu- executives at Warner Brothers, at which he totally managed to trick the executives into thinking he was a real tough guy. Um, Mark Makita, the buddy I talked about a little bit ago. I mean, po- like, look, if you're not a tough guy and someone can like possibly do Aikido, I would also be convinced that they were a tough guy. Oh, you know, like We'll talk about his... Aikido bona fides and how they're probably not real. That's fine. All I'm saying is if I asked someone who has never seen Aikido, someone was like, watch me do Aikido, I'd be like, okay, that seems fine. 
Well, here's the thing. Mark Makita participated in this demonstration, uh, and he told Connolly during an interview for the article, quote, I still can't believe those guys at Warner Brothers didn't know it was a rehearsed demonstration. It shouldn't have fooled anyone. Seagal could not toss me or anyone else in the air unless we were in on it. So it was a little bit more bullshit than I think you thought. That's the magic of the pictures, baby. (laughs) Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Jackie Chan could beat my ass today. Jackie Chan has actual skills. And he's probably about the same age as Steven Seagal. He's not that far off from it. Jackie Chan did his own stunts was incredibly talented. If you look at, like, the the end of Drunken Master, it shows, like, all the outtakes from, like, stunts that went wrong, like, walking across coals and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, he was legitimately incredibly talented. He's very good. Steven Seagal could not. He could not do what Jackie Chan did. Like, has no skill whatsoever. He's... We'll talk about... I'll just say it now. So, he has a black belt in Aikido. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether Aikido is a legit martial art or total bullshit. I know that no, nobody Aikido's does real. it in MMA. Aikido is a thing. I, I know that nobody in MMA does it. That's what I know. That's what I know about Aikido. Nobody does it who legit wants to beat the shit out of somebody. That's what I know about it. Yeah, but, but nobody really does karate either. Like, nobody, like... Yeah, that's, nobody does karate either. You're, exa- you're 100% correct, man. We were all tricked by the karate kid. We no, were all told think, it would really I, help I, I you, think, but it I think it's functionally not a good fighting style for MMA, but I think it is a real martial art. Yes, but here's the thing. Emma, and I'm, I look, I'm not a martial arts guy. I'm not even particularly an MMA guy. But in my mind, uh, 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 the way to rank martial arts, if there is any way to rank them, is which one is going to allow you to most efficiently beat another person's ass. Yeah. Because okay. that seems to be no, the goal look, of them, okay, right? So I, I, whilst I agree with you, I would say, like, judo, nobody uses judo in fucking, and fucking. And, like, judo, I like, if someone, I was fighting someone who does judo, I would not be able to touch them. So, like, just the fact that people don't use it in MMA, I don't think is enough to disqualify sure. it as a real martial sure. art. Nobody uses Olympic-style wrestling in a bar fight. Uh, <laughs> Precisely. And MMA is, okay. closer, it is closer to a bar fight than a... I mean, but here's the thing, is that Steven Seagal has made his entire career convincing people that these martial arts are real and dangerous and that he could take down anybody he wants, when in reality, he is a very fragile, sad, soft boy um, who could be very easily beat up by just about anybody who has, you know, real training. In, well, in okay. In I mean, the, the the thing is, like, you're as well being a wrestler or a boxer in like an actual fight. Like, that's almost better off than being a martial artist. I think. Yeah. Just because you sure. can fucking take a punch and right. That's what a lot of fight training comes down to. And I know it's, we have can a you be hit in the gonna, face and keep we, going? <laughs> we have a couple of listeners who are going to get on me about ta- shit talking martial arts. I, I hope they do. This. Yeah, yell at him. <laughs> Listen, let's make a note that I defended martial arts and Kevin is. But anyways, all over Benedict. Them. So, so his credentials Ooh, as a martial be so artist, mad. I can't wait. <laughs> his credentials are also suspect, uh, particularly his black belt in Aikido, which um, his ex-wife, uh, 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 whose name I forgot because it's not in front of me on the page, uh, Miyako, uh, claims was basically given to him because the judge of his black belt presentation fell asleep and didn't care and just decided to give him the black belt anyway. Cool. 
So that's generally the level of martial artist we're talking about here. So anyways, after this presentation he gave to the Warner Brothers executives, uh, they hired a director and did a, a test screening of Seagal, which is where you get somebody on camera, you you know do some basic run-through stuff and see how it all looks. And it was an absolute fucking disaster. Steven looked terrible on screen, his voice was just high and squeaky, which is probably why you hear him doing the fake low voice all the time these days. But... Oh, by the way, never trust anyone who does a fake low voice. Never no, trust them. Which um, is why I have such a high voice all the time. <laughs> I'm very uh, trustworthy. Elizabeth Holmes, have you ever heard her talk? Fake yes. fucking low voice. Cannot be trusted. I proved my point. So, but it was it was just such a disaster of a test screening. But Ovitz, who was so into Seagal, then cut a deal with Warner Brothers to sacrifice his own significant pay raise as a casting agent for Lethal Weapon 2 if they gave Seagal a chance. And Warner Brothers took the deal, and that's how Seagal's first movie, Above the, Above the Law, eventually got released in 1988. And Above the Law made $18.7 million on a budget of $7.5 million, which is not shabby, and cemented Seagal as an up-and-coming star in the action movie scene. Uh, he followed that with a series of moderately successful action movies in the late 80s and early 90s, like Hard to Kill, Marked for Death, Out for Justice, Under a Siege, On Deadly Ground, and Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. But by the late 90s, Seagal stopped appearing on the silver screen and really only got direct-to-video releases. And based on his list of credits on IMDb, I can only find four movies that he was with uh, that had any that was involved in that had any kind of theatrical release since 1997's Fire Down Below. Out of the nearly 50 he's been okay, in that so sounds like it's about an STD. It has to use the Bob Seger song, right? It has to use it. There's you can't do that movie and not play that song at some point. Um, but so uh, uh, the the four that I found that actually got a theatrical release: uh, Half Past Dead in 2002, uh, Machete in 2010, which as I mentioned he had a bit role in. Uh, yeah. China Salesman in 2017, and the one you brought up, Beyond the Law, in 2019. Out of 50 movies since 1997, four that have gotten any kind of theatrical release, and I think all of those except Machete were limited releases. That's not great. No. That's not great. Uh, and Steven has a long history of, let's call them disagreements with his stuntmen. Uh, he's been accused by numerous over the years of intentionally hitting him during scenes. Uh, one of these is Gene LaBelle, who got into an argument with Steven on the set of Out for Justice. So, Seagal claimed that because of his training in Aikido, he was immune to being choked unconscious. So, Gene <laughs> LaBelle offered to give him a chance to prove That is for sure not true. Yeah, yeah. There so, is no level of martial arts <laughs> training that prevents you from being choked unconscious. That is true. So LaBelle put his arm around Seagal's neck, and once Seagal said go, proceeded to choke Stephen unconscious. That after which, right. Stephen pooped his pants. I'm not joking. Yeah, you would. I mean, I'm not joking. He was choked unconscious and pooped his pants. I think that just happens, doesn't it? When you lose consciousness a lot of the time, like you, you I, stop I've clenching. Heard such things. I think. I, <laughs> are you constantly clenching? You're not supposed to be constantly we, we, clenching. We all are, to some extent. <laughs> you don't uh, uh, stop clenching when you sleep, do you? Um, yeah. <laughs> you don't okay. shit yourself every night. <laughs> Um, he also once attacked John Leguizamo on set for attack oh, for cool. laughing at him, uh, knocked him into a brick wall. 
Uh, along the way, you know, in this career, he also made a number of TV appearances, uh, including his legendary 1991 Saturday Night Live hosting gig, um, which cast members later said made them generally consider for the first time doing a show without a host for the week and doing a cast-only show, um, and which Lorne Michaels called the worst SNL host ever. Um, he's one of the few people to be banned for life from Saturday Night, from appearing cool. on Saturday Night Live. Um, according to Al Franken, he wanted to do a sketch where he was a psychiatrist who hypnotized a patient and had sex with her, and then the punchline was supposed to be that he told her she had to come back every week or something like that. It's, yeah. And I think that's a point at which we discuss Stephen's history of sexual assault. So Yeah, it seems right. It seems like a good segue. Content warning, if you don't want to hear about any of that, and it's pretty bad stuff, uh, skip forward a few minutes. I'll try and keep it short. So Stephen has been accused by numerous women of sexual assault and rape. Uh, in 1990, an assistant named Rianne Malone was hired by Warner Brothers. Um, she was brushing her teeth in Stephen's trailer when Stephen yelled from the other room that he needed her. So she came out of the bathroom with toothpaste still in her mouth, to which Stephen said, quote, Gee, Rianne, you look like that when I come in your mouth. That's not good. The fact that that phrase comes to your mind ever is a bad sign. Um, in 1991, four of Stevens' assistants quit over sexual harassment claims, and three of them were paid $50,000 in settlement for their uh, confidentiality. Uh, Jenny McCarthy has accused Steven Seagal of demanding that she undress during an audition, which she was told by her agent was a, a non-nudity role, uh, but Steven repeatedly told her that there was nudity, off-camera nudity. Right. Which caused her to storm out and not take the role. That seems right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 2017, Portia de Rossi accused Stephen of harassing her during a movie audition when he told her it was important for them to have off-camera chemistry before unzipping his pants. Fuck's uh, sake. Catherine Heigl, who was 16 during the filming of Under Siege 2, says that Seagal told her he had girlfriends her age on set. Which is... Boy. Just uh, weird. And in, it's a weird thing to say to someone. Yeah. In 2018, actress Rachel Grant accused Seagal of sexually assaulting her in 2002. And in 2018, Regina Simmons claimed that Stephen had raped her at his home when she arrived for what she had been told by him was a rap party for the movie On Deadly Ground. But no one was there but Stephen. So right. perhaps... And that I, I'm not going over all of them. It's just, and I don't want to get into the details because it's just gross and awful. And, you know, I believe every single one of those women who accused him. Uh, but perhaps a lot of this explains why Stephen spends much of his life these days in countries without extradition treaties to the United States. Um, but from 2009 to 2014, Benedict, Stephen made his magnum opus, the reality TV show Stephen Seagal Lawman. And... <laughs> Yeah, I'll start off. <laughs> I'll start off by letting you hear, um, in his own words, Benedict, why Stephen got involved and did this show. Was it I needed a fat paycheck? <laughs> Probably has something to do with that. Being a cop, I think, is special. I have a lot of pride in being a police officer. Someone who really and truly is there to protect and serve. Probably about 24 years ago or so. I was down in Louisiana on some other business. By the way, you can hear him talking with a fake Louisiana accent. I was going to say, why, does he, why is he talking like that? He's because his Michigan entire life is cultural appropriation, I, Benedict. I was, I was down in Louisiana. 
ninety percent of the time, if you see Steven, he is wearing a, an Asian style jacket with the the tri- straight tall collar and mm-hmm. like the you know the the um, uh, uh, tied not buttons but you know it's like tied string down the middle. That's how he dresses ninety percent of the time because he spent a few years in Japan before cheating on his wife, and so he's appropriated that culture as well. Obviously, like right. this man is giant walking cultural appropriation. That is what he is. And uh, Harry had heard that I shoot very well. He said, we're having a special SWAT training and several teams from the different areas will be down here. Would you shoot for us? I said, sure. He said, would you be willing to bet that my best marksman could beat you? And I said, sure. So he it's great how these stories always happen when there's no one to corroborate them. Yeah. Because you know you're about to hear that Steven outshot the best marksman sure. at the New Orleans Chef's Depot. New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh-huh. Set up situation. And I pulled out my gun and I went, doom, doom, doom. And shot the marksman, so now he can't beat me. So fuck that guy. You know how guns always go, doom, doom, doom. You know how that's the sound the guns make? <laughs> I went to doom 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 and he went to doom 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 By the doom way, and then I <laughs> so, so Stephen Seagal Lawman these episodes are not available for free online uh, they're hard Fuck. to find um, possibly because Stephen was accused of sexual assault by one of his uh, assistants during the filming of the yeah, show right. um, so it's easy but there are clips online and one of the clips that I found is where Stephen takes a deputy for shooting practice because the deputy has to like recertify or whatever and they show all this shooting. They never show in the same the shot Steven shooting and the bullet hitting the target. Yeah, it's always right. camera on Steven, gun firing, and then cut over to the target that has been shot. Okay. <laughs> I wonder why that happens. Somebody said, man, I think he missed the whole target. And then somebody else said, hell no, he hit all the bad guys in the eye. Harry said, well, would you teach my teams today, you know, small... Again, born in fucking Michigan. Nobody went to Raised in California, then lived in Japan for a time. Where does this fucking accent come from? Somebody said, no, he hit all the bad guys in the eye, and then nobody checks. (laughs) (laughs) All arms, firearms, and come-along techniques, and defense techniques. And I said, sure. And so that day, I... I taught everybody small arms, firearms, martial arts, come along techniques, arrest techniques, defense techniques. At the end of the day, he said, I understand you went to police academy in uh, Los Angeles and you got a post certificate and so forth and so on. I said, yes, sir. He said, would you be willing to join my force? I said, well, I couldn't join it full time. He said, well, I'll give you a full commission, fully sworn police officer, with every bit of authority that any police officer has, and you can come down when you can come down. If you'll train my police officers, patrol, perform arrests, and do everything that every cop does. It wasn't necessarily law enforcement per se, as much as it was an opportunity for me to be able to help people. We are the guys who go in there and we stand up. Murder dogs. They murder dogs. <clears throat> And you're going to learn that's not just a statement about how many cops murder dogs. You're going to learn that Steven actually ended up killing a dog during the filming of Steven Seagal Lawman. Uh, so, Bennett, there, there's a few things to highlight in what we just saw. 
The first is that he claimed that in the 80s, Harry Lee, the sheriff of uh, New Orleans Parish, or whatever the parish is that New Orleans is in, I forget, um, invited him to come become a fully sworn deputy because, of course, he had gone through the police academy in L.A. and had a post. Now, everything that he said there was was fake. It's total yep. lies. Total fucking lies. Um, the only evidence that Stephen produced uh, to prove that he was sworn in as a deputy back in the 80s shows a... St- it's a photograph. He had a photograph of him with Harry Lee. Harry Lee is a, a sheriff who had his own number of issues uh, with racism throughout his career. But... It was a photo of him with Harry Lee, which shows a much older Steven Seagal than he was back in the 1980s. <laughs> you know what? I, 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 I've been thinking about it as he was talking. I kind of like that he just fully committed to a Louisiana accent. <laughs> it's better than like, going half honest, ass about Honestly, it. I kind of respect that. It's not, it's not terrible. I've seen worse. If he would like half-assed it, it would have been weird. It would have yeah. been weird. Um, but also, you heard there that he claimed that he went through the L.A. Police Academy. There are no records of him ever having done so. He also claimed that he had a post certification, which is the Peace Officer Standards and Training Organization, which, of course, has no records of him ever being certified as well. Yeah, and none of it's real. Yeah. I know last time I hyped the incident of Stephen busting through a wall with a tank, so I can't not play that clip for you. We have to we have to take a look at it. And here it is. Does he say, hey, hey, it's Why the Kool-Aid not? man now? <laughs> he says, oh no. <laughs> oh nah. My team and I are gearing up to take down the suspect, Jesus Sanchez Rivera. One- okay, well so, the, is it switched to like so a fucking Chicano? The accent is switched. You're hundred percent right. It is switched. <laughs> because Obviously, that last episode took place in Louisiana. I'm not going to imitate this accent in case I get called racist. This episode is now taking place in Arizona, courtesy Uh of Joe Arpaio, who allowed him to come LARP in Arizona. Wanted for animal cruelty, allegedly raising roosters for cockfights. Given what we know about this guy, we feel that it's going to be safest to deploy SWAT. We'll be using two armored personnel carriers to beach the perimeter. Brace yourself, guys. First APC will approach from the south. The second APC will approach from the north. So the video just so it's not a tank. It's an armored personnel carrier, Kevin. It's a fucking tank. Go fuck it. It's not yourself. a tank. That's never a tank. The the APC Benedict uh, just busted through the gate on the video. I know you're not watching it. I should have sent it to you ahead of time so you could see it. But it busted through the gate, and you're going to learn. I'll just tell you now. They ran over a puppy. Aww. They ran over a puppy. That's what I they hate did. That. Yeah, they ran over a puppy because they had to get this guy. Look, cockfighting's not great. I'm not a fan of it. They didn't need two APCs to bust into the cockfighting guy's house. It was done for the fucking show. Like, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. And, and the crazy thing is, there is no doubt. The cameras recording this show must have gotten footage of the dead dog. They they must yeah, have. Yeah, nobody wants that to they see had that, Kevin. No, I'm not claiming that they should have put it on, on the fucking show. I'm just saying that it it must they must have gotten it. They must have. And just... God, it's fucking ridiculous. So Steven is sitting in the back of one of these APCs, and then the footage, of course, cuts over to all the officers going in and doing stuff without Steven's involvement because, of course, he's not a real cop. Sheriff's office. We have a search warrant. If you are in the residence, make your way to the front door. Do it now. 
We hope to take the suspect and anybody else who is inside the house by surprise. That's our guy. We were able to catch our suspect by surprise without anybody getting... So, like, the footage of Steven that they're showing here is him standing, like, a hundred feet away from what's actually going on. Because, of course. And that's it. That's the clip where they right. murdered a dog. They murdered a dog. Um, and, and you know, he was, of course, he was sued. Uh, like, he should have been for this. Like, <laughs> and... The sh so, there's, there's so much I can say. There's so much I can say about this show, Benedict. Like, it's the entire show is basically a series of quick choppy cuts that my theory is exist to hide the fact that Steven does basically nothing on any of the interactions that they show. During In the my show. head, and this is entirely me, because um, I haven't seen any of this, this whole show the all of the footage from this is you know like in the 90s when it was like you had the thing before the movie where it was like you wouldn't steal a book or like whatever <laughs> yeah. you know like that's like the the anti-piracy like yeah 30 second i know exactly the one that's what about. this should that's the, the aesthetic the table of set this. up with the bootleg yeah. dvds yeah. and like the the zooming in on it i know yeah. exactly what you're that's talking about the aesthetic of the show to me and i nothing you can say will change that not far off <laughs> with less vfx yeah not far off um, 90% of the footage of him during the show is him in the passenger seat of whatever car he's in, usually an SUV, talking vaguely about what's going on and hyping up the supposed danger to a ridiculous degree. Um, he also, and this is something that just caught my eye because I watched like an hour of these clips, various clips of him throughout the series alternates between wearing these yellow tinted shooting sunglasses. Uh, uh and like then the like the ones he has on, on the cover of the book. Uh, no, no, they're like the sport ones. They're like the wraparounds. Uh, like, okay. yeah, like those ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and alternatively, the most old man reading glasses I've ever seen. It's Just like, like a jarring halfway change. down his nose. Like. Yeah, it's a jarring change. Um, the best clip I found from Lawman, uh, was them serving a warrant on some guy in like his twenties and they're playing it up so hard in the car before they get there. They're like, Oh, this was a 9110, which means he might have a gun. And they get there and they just step out of the car and the guy's like, oh, I didn't know I had a court date because the charges were dropped by my, my wife. And then they're like, well, man, just because your wife doesn't want to press him doesn't mean the DA is not keeping it. They're like, oh, so all right. And then the arrestee's dad or whoever is like, why the fuck you got to bring all these guys here for one guy? Because <laughs> there's like 10 cops because nobody <laughs> trusts Steven. It's amazing. It's so crazy. But then... The show was abruptly canceled in the middle of its third season. That's the Joe Arpaio season when they were in Arizona, with only like three or four of the episodes airing. And A&E, who was the, the uh, channel that put the show on, has never answered why the show was canceled, right? It could have been because during the middle of filming, there was a lawsuit filed against Steven for sexual assault by one of his former assistants. Um, or it could have been that during the third season, that episode we just played with the tank resulted in a lawsuit against Steven and the county and everybody because they murdered a puppy. Like, two good options. Two very good It could be other reasons we don't know. But for no, you know, the one thing we do know is no matter what, we will never get any more Steven Seagal lawman, which is the real tragedy, tragedy of it all, as we Tragic. all know. Um, but honestly... 
This TV show tracks with Steven Seagal's ridiculous life, or at least what he claims is his ridiculous life. So at this point, I figured we'd just go through a list of some verified Steven okay. Seagal lies. At this point, we're an hour and a half in, so I'm I gonna know, need you and to I'm very sorry, but you have to suffer now. You okay, to suffer. I'm, I'm going to need you to wrap it up, though. So okay. if it can't fit in 10 minutes, it needs to go in the next All episode. Right. So first off, his name isn't even pronounced Seagal. It's Seagull. That's how it's pronounced. As in the bird. <laughs> That's basically how it's pronounced. Uh, it's the the Jewish pronunciation. His father was Jewish. Uh, but he disliked it so much that he decided to change it after he went to a uh, an exhibition of the artist Chagall at a museum and decided that he'd just call it that because he liked the way that Chagall sounded. Sure. So that's how we got Seagal. Uh, Stephen has claimed that he was a student of Morihei Yoshiba, the founder of Aikido. The only problem is that Morihei died in 1969 years before Steven ever went to Japan. Uh, he also claimed to have met Bruce Lee and talked about their children. The only problem with that one is that, again, Bruce Lee died in 1973, and Steven Seagal's first child wasn't born until 1975. Uh, he claimed to be the first Westerner to have a dojo in Japan. It is true that he did teach at the dojo owned by his mother-in-law while he lived in Japan, but that doesn't really count as having your own dojo in Japan. It does not. No. <laughs> Uh, he is a black belt in Aikido, but as I said earlier, his ex-wife said that the only reason he got it was because the judge fell asleep during his presentation, gave him a black belt anyway, and he's never competed in any competitions that anyone has been able to find. Uh, Steven has claimed that during his time in Japan, he got into fights with the Yakuza. His ex-wife claims that the closest he ever got to that was chasing off some hooligans from out front of the dojo who were drinking out there. Okay. Not exactly Yakuza. Um, Steven claims at various times that he was in the special forces, uh, sometimes claiming he was a green beret, sometimes claiming he was a Navy SEAL. Uh, on one occasion, he was telling a story to a crowd about his time in Laos when one of Steven Seagal's martial arts students, an actual green beret who had served in Laos, stood up and said, Hey idiot, that's my story. Because one thing Steven likes to do is steal stories that belong to other people who actually live them and tell them as, as his own. Um, another time, he was invited on a treasure hunt in Barbados by a man named Gary Oldman. Or Gary Goldman, not Oldman. I was going to say, fucking hell. No, Gary Oldman is, is a different guy. Gary Goldman, uh, who was, uh, 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 um, what do you call them, uh, um, contract guy, uh, defense contract. Back then they didn't call him that, right? But like... Like, did that uh, um, uh, mercenary, uh, uh, a killer for hire, whatever. Uh, but uh, Seagal had told old Goldman, I keep saying Oldman, I need to get it, Goldman. Seagal had told Goldman that he was in the Navy SEALs, but it became very clear very early that that was absolutely not true when Seagal didn't even know how to use a map or a compass. Yep. And he got so scared. That's while day these... one of Navy SEAL training, baby. Even yeah, I know that. Yeah. Well, he got so scared while on the Zodiac raft going out to where they were going to go diving that he started yelling about how they were all going to die because of some rough cool. waves. Yep. <laughs> uh, Goldman later wrote a letter to a reporter at the New York Times saying that Seagal, quote, would surely die if he was given a compass and a map that led to a restaurant five miles away. <laughs> 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 That's such a burn. Yeah. Uh, Stephen also claims past work with the CIA, uh, telling the LA Times that while he was in Japan, he was an advisor to several CIA agents. You know how they have so many advisors. Mm -hmm. Famously. Uh, more likely, as he's done throughout his career, he's known some CIA people whose stories he's appropriated. Mm -hmm. That seems to track more with his actual life that we know about. Uh, on the CIA front, though, he certainly did know a few CIA agents, or at least ex-CIA 
uh, contract employees, uh, particularly a man named Robert Strickland, who was a contract employee of the CIA, who he met in Japan, and in 1989, when Stephen was filming Marked for Death, went to meet Stephen in his trailer. And at that point, Stephen had been in a dispute with Gary Goldman, the uh, ex-mercenary we talked about a few minutes ago, uh, who he had been working on a script with. So... In the trailer, Stephen opened up a briefcase, which contained $50,000, and asked Strickland to kill Gary Goldman for him. Okay, which that feels Strickland like jail. To do. Feels like he should be in jail. Really yeah. feels like he should be in jail. Luckily, Strickland refused to do a contract killing for mm, Stephen fucking okay. Seagal. That's, that would um, be a bad way to go to jail. Yeah, and in 1990, uh, Steven Seagal paid Strickland $50,000 for the rights to his life story, which Strickland probably justifiably thought that Steven was going to turn into a movie. However, it appears that really what Steven had paid him the money for was the right to tell Strickland's own life stories as though they were his own. Oh, cool. Because Steven went on the Arsenio Hall show and told one of Strickland's CIA stories as his own, which caused Strickland to call him and threaten to expose him as a fraud if he didn't stop doing so. Um, That was not, by the way, the last person that Steven tried to have killed, Gary Goldman. Um, In 1991, he tried to hire a security consultant to set up a GQ writer, Alan Richman, uh, who wrote a critical article of Stephen. Um, he wanted to set him up with compromising photos with another man because uh, Stephen thought that Richmond was gay. Uh, but when the, ref- the consultant refused to do that, Stephen asked him how much it would cost to have Richmond killed. So, seems to have a thing a, a, for trying pon- to get people murdered. A penchant murdered. for murder. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might. Ooh, that's a good movie title. Maybe we can get Stephen Seagal yeah, to star okay, in it. maybe, yeah. Um, and you might be saying to yourself, why does Steven keep thinking everyone around him will kill people for cash? And Is it, it because might have he's killed do... people for cash, well, allegedly? It, it might have to do with his alleged mafia connections. Um, I mentioned earlier the alleged hit he claimed to have done, which mm-hmm. isn't as far outside of the realm of possibility as you might think. Uh, but Steven's business partner in his production company, Steamroller Entertainment, was a man named Julius Nasso who was originally a pharmacist from Staten Island who owned a company named Universal Marine Supply, which supplied pharmaceuticals to merchant vessels. And in the 80s, Nassau's uncle, also named Julius, was the owner of a New York construction company, which was named as part of a civil case as part of a bid-rigging scheme connected to a racketeering scheme orchestrated by the New York crime families under the control of Tony Salerno, a.k.a. Fat Tony. So... It's been alleged that yeah. the mafia has basically bankrolled Seagal's career in the beginning, looking at him as an investment in a future movie star who can make the millions. And after Nasso and Steven had a falling out in 2000, Nasso went and enlisted members of the Gambino crime family to threaten Steven, which Gambino captain Anthony Sissoni did, telling them that he had to make four movies he had promised to make for Nasso or pay Nasso $150,000 per movie, and then if he refused he'd be killed. Cool. You know, this guy who's, who's so dangerous and, and not threatened by... Who could kill Steven Seagal? He's the most dangerous man on the planet, which is probably why he gave him $750,000 because he was scared shitless that he would be killed by the actual scary people out there in the mafia. So. I would be scared of that too, to be fair. But Steven eventually ran to the cops, like you do when you're a big, scary, tough guy, yep. um, and ended up testifying at the trial against the mobsters and Julius Nasso, uh, some of whom pled guilty, and Nasso, who was sentenced to a year and a day in prison for his part in all this. Okay. So, Benedict, you're probably asking, 
Yeah. How are we still going? Yeah. What's he doing that. recently? Yeah, sure. I know. This is okay, the important part. This you is where, have three minutes, three minutes yeah. to summarize I know it. you're mad at me. You always three are minutes. You have three minutes. So Go. obviously in 2017, we know he let he pay, let someone pay him to slap his name on this book, which I assume is the only way this could ever have been created. Stephen mm-hmm. had no involvement. I'm sure. No. I'm sure of it. You could show me photographs of Stephen sitting at a typewriter. At a typewriter. Writing <laughs> out this book. And I would not believe it would be a just writing it in cursive, writing it in cursive. What he got I, a Steven fucking map? <laughs> he's got a fucking Mac laptop. No, it's a fucking typewriter. That's how he works. Um, just with no paper in it, he's just writing <laughs> on the That would be exactly how it happened. That would be exactly it. You're 100 percent right. Um, in uh, 2014, though, before that, right, he came out strong in favor of the Russian annexation of Crimea, yep. calling Putin one of the greatest living world leaders, which resulted in him being dropped from the lineup of an Estonian blues festival he was going to perform at. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but he was granted Russian citizenship, so maybe he didn't lose all that much. Um, he spoke out against athletes protesting the national anthem around that same time frame, saying, quote, I believe in, fr- I believe in free speech. I believe that everybody's entitled to their own opinion. No, no, Kevin, that's not what he said. What he said was, I believe in free speech. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't agree that they should hold the United States of America or the world hostage by taking a venue where people are tuning in to watch a football game. You've gone very Dracula. And imposing their own political (laughs) uh, views. uh, 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 Eh, Natasha. Uh, after he did that, he was challenged by George Foreman, who was himself in his 60s at the time. Oh, I would have 100% paid to see that. Yes! George Foreman beat the shit out of Susan Seagal. (laughs) Yeah. Hell yeah. He was challenged to a 10-round MMA match, which Seagal declined, Yeah, that seems right. George Foreman, actual fucking tough guy. Actual fucking tough guy who sold a fucking shitty little uh, 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 barbecue grill thingy. Dude, he's made so much money from that. So much. So much. And uh, unlike Steven Seagal, legitimately good uh, boxer. Le- yeah. Legitimately beat a lot of people up uh, who couldn't couldn't stop him because he was a fucking nightmare. Machine. Yeah, fucking <laughs> machine. a murderous machine. Uh, in 2016, Steven moved to Russia with his current wife, Erdenetia Batsku. So close as i'm gonna get with it uh who he married in 2009 is he currently fighting in bakhmut as a member of the <laughs> wagner group <laughs> well no but he did in 2022 go make an appearance in ukraine at a russian prison camp as a spokesperson for russia yeah because the right. man just can't be on the right side of anything, of anything. has never no. been on the right side once no. Uh, but back, uh, you know, earlier, earlier years, 2016 through 2020-ish, um, he has been meeting with authoritarian, authoritarian dictators who is, he has uh, lended whatever credibility he has to, uh, like uh, Rodrigo seems Duterte. Seems like it only would hurt your credibility at this point, yeah, honestly. Yeah, seems like it. Uh, and Lukashenko, of course, got to sure. go, got to go to Belarus. Um, he's it. also the spokesperson for a Russian firearms manufacturer named Orsis. Um, cool. He is Buddhist, and more importantly, of course, the reincarnation of Chundrag Dorji, a treasure revealer from the 17th century. And uh, in 2020, he paid uh, nearly a million dollars to the SEC to settle a case against him for his promotion of an initial coin offering for a <laughs> coin called Bitcoin with two eyes, two gen, and agreed not to promote any investments for a period of three years. So. Good. 
That better. So than we're t- gonna get Bitcoin with three eyes, three oh, gen God. in like if a year. If there's mention of Bitcoin in this book, I'm gonna I'm gonna shit myself. I'm gonna lose consciousness and shit myself. <laughs> if there is, you're gonna stop clenching and shit yourself. That would be on that note. Active. Wrap it up. That is our action hero, Steven Seagal, author of this book. Man, who we will is be there a spending... Steven Seagal action figure? There has, there has to, to be. be. There has to be. I'm gonna Google that right now and find out. Steven Seagal action figure. There has to be from his there's, movies. There's yes, there are many. Yeah. There are many Steven Seagal action figures. As it turns out, I'm looking at the boxes for several of them. Good God, St- oh, there's an above the wall one. Above the law one. Uh, here's one UFC. There's a UFC one with snapping front kick action. Hell yeah. No, that can't be real. That has to be fake. I think that has to be absolutely we should fake. enter our patrons into a raffle and buy the cheapest one. And whoever, <laughs> whoever's name we pull out a hat gets a Steven Seagal action figure. Uh, well, they're not that inexpensive as it turns out. Uh, oh, really? Custom 8-inch Mego. Mego's like, you know, one of the brands everyone goes for. Uh, above the law, complete action figure. $149. Jesus. Okay, well, we need some more patrons for this to happen. So, <laughs> Kevin, tell them where they can find us. Uh, that's not how I end the show. Well, fucking Don't end the show and steal my normal lies. way, then. But thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's how I end it. Then I say where you can find Keep us. On, Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC and become a patron for as little as $1 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Kerry Conrison, Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madden and Zachary Wilson-Fetro, Stephen DeBeau, Torian DeGallant, Amy Kaiser, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S. I love it when Jordan yells out, thank you very much. Also, go listen to the MYGBC podcast. Little Flick, William Patterson, Flackweasel, Kieran Dackler. Join us next week when we break it to, in- to Kevin that Jayakarta is closed forever. <laughs> it is? Is it really? <laughs> Don't tell me that. Henry Lewis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Million A. Dooley, Gloria Scott, Clifton Stuckey, Paws Loves NYGBC, A Restless Navid, uh, A Restless Native, A Baby, Wham, Veronica Forker, Melissa C., George Saulnier, Stefan, Shark Belly, Utah Outcast, Dave Barwick, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Mockingbird Nation, Bacaw, Benjamin Carlisle, Dexter, Allison, Megan Ruth, Glowrung the Deceiver, Big Easy Blasphemy, Jay Reynolds, Stephen, and Cindy Dimmick, Taru Takanan, and Balls Waterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, I kill the puppy. Goodbye. Goodbye. podcast is a production of kevin and benedict productions copyright 2020 all rights reserved music for this podcast is by silverman sound studios find out more at silvermansound.com